Luke chapter 19, begin at verse 1 to verse 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here ends the Bible reading. Please do take a seat. And we're working our way through uh, Luke's Gospel uh, on these Sunday mornings, so it'd be great if you could grab one of those and uh, look back up to Luke chapter 19 on page uh, 878 it is. And as you find that, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you. There's that song we've just sung says, you have a plan. And we thank you that you have revealed it to us through your word, the Bible. So by your spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, and our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's a question for you uh, before we dig in. Out of all the people in your life, who do you think is the person least likely to become a Christian? Just have a little think about that. Maybe... There's someone who you've just mentally thought, <laughs> there's no point talking to them about Jesus. You know, it, it could never happen to them. They wouldn't be interested. Or, or as Dave was talking about those Christmas services, you know, there's someone who you thought, should I invite them? No, there's no point inviting them. <laughs> They'd never come. Or maybe there's someone you stopped praying for. They, they've just dropped off your prayer list because, well, what's the point? It's never going to happen. And then again, maybe, maybe it's you. <laughs> Maybe you're the person who you think is least likely to become a follower of Jesus. <laughs> God could never love you. Um, well, you could never find it in yourself to love him either. We love surprises, don't we? But we struggle to trust that they might happen. I wonder who would be the person who you'd be most surprised to hear had become a Christian this Christmas. Well, if you lived in Jericho 2,000 years ago, it probably would have been this guy, Zacchaeus. For what, do you see what the crowd call him in verse 7? What do they call him? A sinner. As Zacchaeus was a tax man. And while nobody has ever loved 
the tax man, <laughs> have they? Uh, Zacchaeus was even more hated than the inland revenue because he, he wasn't just raising taxes for his own nation. He was working for the enemy, the occupying Roman forces. And as he did so, he was scooping off a little bit off the top for himself. He was a traitor who had lined his own pockets by ripping off his own people. And you can't sink much lower than that. No wonder the crowd call him a sinner. And, and, and not just a sinner in the way that you and I are sinners, um, falling short of the glory of God, not, not uh, loving God and loving others as we should, <laughs> but, but a sinner more, more, one of those capital letter sinners. You know, like the ones that you see on the front pages of the tabloids. Too full of sin, too messed up, too far gone to be loved by God, <laughs> let alone anyone else. So let me ask you again. Who have you written off like that? Folks, if God can save Zacchaeus, he can save anyone. So let's have a closer look at how it came about. It's a simple story, well known, but oh, so profound. It's the story of the sinner, the savior, and the son of Abraham. So first up, let's meet the sinner. At least that's what the crowd called him, uh, didn't they? But it's not the only way he's described here in Luke 19. See how he's introduced to us in verse 2. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And while he later admits that he did indeed make his money by ripping off other people, measured by the values of our culture, he's a success, isn't he? He's got a good job and uh, lots of money and access to everything that money brings. And yet in a few minutes' time, he's going to be giving all that away. Zacchaeus was wealthy. But Jesus has a different word to describe Zacchaeus, doesn't he? Do you see it? Verse 10. It's almost the very last word of the incident. Lost. Wealthy, but lost. You know, there are up and outs as well as down and outs. In fact, according to Luke's gospel, if you're rich, then you are very likely to be lost too. Riches of whatever kind, whether it's money or brains or reputation or power or status or good looks or a winning personality, blessings like that are all very convenient things to hide behind because they give the illusion of security, of status, of, of a hope for the future regardless of how we've treated God. Which is why Jesus says in the previous chapter to this, in the incident with the rich ruler in Luke 18, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult for us to see our lostness when everything's going well, when we're well off. I mean, I could put a photo for you up on the screen here. I could put a photo up here of poverty. And you'd spot it in an instant. You'd know what it is. But you can't photograph the lostness of a human soul. You can't take a picture of the spiritual bankruptcy that comes from having lived at a distance from the God who not only made us, but made us for himself. Jonathan Miller is a playwright, and I suspect that most of you have never heard of him, but, um, but you probably will have come across his work. You might have seen it on the telly, unaware that it was him that had uh, written what you're watching. He is no believer, but he once found himself standing before this 
beautiful stained glass window in Christ College, um, King's College, Cambridge. And he said that while he didn't believe in the God of the crucifixion, Jesus on the cross, he would be very impoverished if he didn't have any of it in his imagination. He said it would be a very thin form of life which didn't have those images. That's a fascinating word to use, isn't it? Thin. For a life lived, denying the God of love. Thin. As in impoverished. And that's Zacchaeus. He may not be able to see it, but he can feel it. He's got the vibes and he follows them. (laughs) That's what uh, makes him so intrigued in Jesus. It's what gets him up the tree. To see the man who can bring substance to living. The man who can fill the void and nourish empty souls. And so he not only goes to see Jesus, he actually goes to ridiculous lengths to try and catch a glimpse of him. Do you see that? Verse (laughs) 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. (laughs) Picture the scene, folks. Uh, All along the line, the the, the best spots, uh, all along the road, the best spots are taken. And Zacchaeus, well, how can we say this? Because he's vertically challenged. (laughs) He couldn't see. And he's forgotten his stepladder. So what does he do? Well, he runs and he climbs. And that might sound like a good plan to you. But (laughs) in those days, he'd be wearing a robe. And he'd have to hitch it up and run and climb and get up. It would have been so awkward, a nightmare to do that. I mean, just imagine Alan Sugar, halfway up a tree, clinging to it for dear life, with his suit all torn and his shoes scuffed. (laughs) It's ridiculous. This is a desperate and undignified act. But Zacchaeus would rather be thought of as a fool than to miss out on this opportunity to see Jesus. What about you? Does that describe you? How far will you go to see Jesus, to meet Jesus? Let's face it, this is not a day and age in which going to church and reading your Bible and committing your time and attention and effort to Jesus, where that is considered a worthy thing to do. But if you are never willing to look foolish and make an effort, you're unlikely to see Jesus and meet him. So go on. <laughs> Let go of your pride and check it out. Check it out like Charlene did, doing that Christianity Explored course. Speak to me later if that's something you'd like to do. And as you do that, really give yourself to the quest. Be determined. Be thorough. Well, Zacchaeus runs. And Zacchaeus climbs. And he looked like a fool to every person who saw him, except one. The one person whose opinion really matters the Savior. And incredibly, Zacchaeus finds (laughs) that while he's been looking for Jesus, Jesus has actually been looking for him, hasn't he? Have a look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. (laughs) That's, That's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? Imagine I come up to you at the end of this service and I say, right, I'm coming around to yours for lunch today. I mean, Even for a cheeky guy like me, that is rude. But in Jesus' culture, this was actually a royal custom. It's the kind of thing a king or a prince would do. 
So applying it to himself, Jesus is actually doing two things here. One, first of all, he is alluding to his royal identity. He is, after all, the king of kings and the prince of peace. But two, he is also bestowing on Zacchaeus an unbelievable honor. Which is why, of course, the crowd aren't happy in verse 7. Remember, this is the least loved person in all of Jericho. The tax man traitor. What are, you, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know who this is? Don't you know what he's done? But folks, what is Jesus' mission statement in verse 10? Jesus didn't come just to save the religious or the morally upstanding. Or the person who you and I think might be willing to have a carols by candlelight invite and and likely to respond. (laughs) No, he came to seek and to save the lost. And so when Jesus singles Zacchaeus out for this incredible honor, it's not a case of mistaken identity. Like there was another Zacchaeus up the tree. (laughs) He caught the wrong one. No, Zacchaeus is, uh, Jesus isn't some doddery old vicar who who doesn't know, who hasn't seen. (sighs) He's blind to Zacchaeus' faults. Now he knows exactly who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus, yes, yes, you, Zacchaeus. <laughs> the one with a sharp eye for figures and fiddling sums. I must come and stay in your house today. And this is as breathtaking as it is shocking. The perfect sinless savior identifies with the sinner. <laughs> And not just any old sinner. This outrageous capital letter sinner at that. I find this one of the most precious moments in all the New Testament. Jesus is surrounded by people who are favorable to him, but hostile to Zacchaeus. People who love him, but hate Zacchaeus. And yet he wades headlong into their scorn and their shame for the sake of Zacchaeus. Jesus takes dishonor on himself in order to bestow honor on Zacchaeus. He loses the favor of the crowd and sacrifices his reputation with all these people for the sake of this rotten sinner who doesn't deserve it and could never earn it. It's staggering. And he's in doing things like this everywhere he goes. That, well, well, by healing the wrong people on the wrong day, by upsetting the religious elite by siding with and showing affection to prostitutes and tax collectors, that Jesus turns the crowd against him so much that rather than gather in delight to see him one day, they will shout, crucify him instead. To put it bluntly, love like this will kill him. But when do you think was the last time that Zacchaeus was loved like this? at such personal cost. When do you think was the last time that someone said to him, Zacchaeus, I I, I know you. I know your past. I know you right to your heart. I know your folly and your failures, your sin. And yet I am willing to come and stand with you. I'm willing to come and enter your life and your home and be with you. And folks, do you realize this is how Jesus loves us? I mean, where does this whole incident start? 
Well, obviously, back in verse 1, doesn't it? Jesus is just passing through Jericho. Where's he going? He's heading to Jerusalem, going to the cross where he will end his life standing alongside sinners. (laughs) And the worst kind of sinners at that. (laughs) Murderous thieves on his left and his right. He will end his life nailed to a cross, identified as a sinner, treated like one, judged like one, damned like one. So that sinners like you and me could have a place where our sins might be taken, paid for, borne away. The innocent Savior identifies with sinners like us. And when a sinner meets a Savior and welcomes him not just into their home but into their life, they become, thirdly, the son of Abraham. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) What? (laughs) What on earth is a son of Abraham? I don't know if I want to be a son of Abraham. I mean, who who would? Well, hold on to your horses for a minute and look down at verse 9, will you? I mean, you expect Jesus to invite Zacchaeus to your prayer prayer and become a Christian, but no, what does he say? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, that does sound odd to our ears today, doesn't it? But it carries a sense of being a true Jew, a true member of God's people. The crowd would have been horrified by that, uh, to think of Zacchaeus as one of us. But it's as if Jesus is saying that it's only through him, not your family or your bloodline, not by trying really, really hard to be good and be religious, Only through Jesus can you become a true child of God. Jesus could not, for the people he's talking amongst, make it any clearer. There's nothing second 11, nothing B-list about Zacchaeus. Like he's going to have to sneak into church by the back door because of every week, because of his past. No, Jesus puts him straight in the first team, doesn't he? First, you see, there is no such thing as a second-class citizen. Or second-class Christian, even. And, and so we must beware the temptation to look down on brothers and sisters in Christ because of their past or their lack of theological upbringing or biblical awareness. If Jesus accepts, if you accept Jesus into your life, then you're one of God's family. It is as simple as that. But having said that, If that was all there was to this story, just imagine for a minute how it would be if you were around town in Jericho and you saw Zacchaeus and you were having to try and hold intention in your mind, truly a child of God, with he ripped me off. He's why my dad lost his job. He's why the home got repossessed. He's the reason I still can't even feed my children properly. Folks, that's why verse 8 is so important, isn't it? Look at it, will you, for a moment. Drink it in. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods, goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. <laughs> hey, this isn't quite the action of the sinner back in verse 7, is it? And it, it, it isn't either the actions of a man who's been found out and he's paying off his debts and a, and a fine on top. No. There were laws. 
Zacchaeus had broken them and fines were stipulated. We can find them in the Old Testament in Numbers 5 verses uh, 6 and 7. And they tell us that for people like Zacchaeus, when he realized his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. The law is clear, isn't it? And Zacchaeus isn't following it. He is going way beyond it. <laughs> One-fifth, says the law. Pay back four times, says the new believer. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, said that for any man or woman, they need to undergo three conversions in their life. We need our hearts converted. We need our, our heads converted. And we need our pockets converted. And he said that it's often that last one that takes the longest. Well, Zacchaeus' conversion has already reached his pocket and it's the same day. (laughs) He meets with Jesus. He welcomes him gladly. And as he sees the love his new master has for him, he turns his back on the old one. His wealth, which had meant so much for him. Half to the poor. Four times to those he had defrauded. The Savior lines up against, uh, alongside the sinner. Oh, yeah. But then the son of Abraham, the true child of God, lines up alongside Jesus and willingly embraces not just his grace, but also his generosity. He takes his ways. He takes on his values. Following Jesus affects every area of our lives, from the financial to the relational. So as I finish... Let me ask you a final question. Have you faced up to your idolatry and repented of it as Zacchaeus did? Perhaps this morning is one of those moments when Jesus is putting his finger on something in your life that needs to change. I mean, maybe this is why our faith often seems so powerless because we're happy with the Savior to identify with the, the sinner, to, to, to stand alongside us in our weakness and our guilt and our failure. But we're slow to respond and stand alongside, and, alongside him and, and live for him, to, to be infected by his grace, if you like. You see, the lesson of Zacchaeus is not to look at your money and be guilty. No, no. It's to look at Jesus and catch his generosity towards others in our attitudes, not looking down on them, not branding them or writing them off, but going out on a limb for them, risking their scorn and our reputation for their sake, just like Jesus has done for us, to seek and to save the lost. You see, this generosity isn't restricted merely to our finances, but it doesn't stop short of them either. Folks, I'm so British, I'm tempted to find it a little bit embarrassing to uh, launch our autumn appeal on the morning that I have to preach on this passage. But we didn't plan for this. You know, if you come in regularly, we're just working our way through Luke's gospel, and this is the passage that we've got to this week. God knows what he's doing. So much more than we do. So He always knows what he's doing much better than we do. And the Autumn Appeal is not about funding the church so we can make it nice and cozy for ourselves, 
but so that we can lay on all kinds of different activities and events in order to reach out with the gospel of Christ to the people around us. People desperately in need of that nourishment for their souls. So we need to be asking ourselves, how can we be giving to others for the sake of their souls to seek and to save the lost? Why don't we have a little moment to pray that through? Let's have a moment of quiet uh, to pray that through for ourselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Well, we're going to close our service um, well with the.